Welcome to the Business of Luxury podcast, where we feature exclusive conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, and influencers on the leading edge of luxury. My name is David Trotter, producer of the Business of Luxury, and I'm joined today by none other than Man himself. Man, welcome to your own show. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hey, we have been having some incredible conversations. I should say you have. I've just been here behind the scenes helping you, cheering you on. And uh, man, people have been saying, we want to get to know Who Man a little bit more. So we thought it would be a good idea to sit down and have a conversation, help people get a, a little bit of a sense of your background and what are some of your keys to success. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. As am I. And thank you for having me on today's show. Yeah. <laughs> hey, one of the things that has significantly influenced your trajectory in life is the fact that you were born in Iran and immigrated to the United States when you were around six years old. So tell us about your memories of growing up in Iran and what are the circumstances that led to you and your family coming to the U.S.? Sure. It's been a very interesting journey. It's a journey that began in 1971 when I was born in Tehran, Iran, and led to us immigrating to the United States, specifically Los Angeles, in 1978. The summer of 1978 was a vacation that became permanent. Uh, We would normally come up here during the summer time to visit my grandma and my father's brothers who lived here. So we made our summer vacations to the United States in order to do that and, of course, do all the fun things like go to Disneyland or go to various parts of the country to vacation and so on and so forth. But that specific summer of 1978, uh, we were told that there is a revolution that is forthcoming and due to the danger that it presents, it's best that we don't take any risks and uh, remain uh, in Los Angeles until things really become clear mm-hmm. to the world. Now, you were a young kid at that time. You were what, I was about six? five and a half years old. Okay. Five and a half years old, yeah. Do you even remember the idea of like, okay, you can't go back to your house, you can't go back to your room, your things are there? What were you thinking and feeling as a as a small child? You know, it was very surreal to me. I was a bit confused. Actually, I was six. I was about to be, I was six at the time, not five and a half. Uh, I was six. Um, it became um, a little confusing for me, a little strange. Like, you know, when am I going to see my dad again? He's not here. We're supposed to go back in, to Tehran to see him, and now we're not. Now we're looking to enroll me to a school. We're looking to find a place to live. So all this confusion came about naturally. Mm -hmm. Questions started to rise. Uh, But my mom and my uncles and my grandma did a great job of making us feel very safe, comfortable, and not worrying about what is going to happen until things became more clear. But there was a bit of confusion naturally, like there would be for any six-year-old. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the stories that I've just been blown away by is the the business that your family was in, in Iran, and then had to give up or leave behind in the midst of the revolution. Talk to me about the, the, the trajectory of your family in terms of business from Iran to the United States. How did that all go down? 
So the main business that my family had at the time was a chewing gum business. Even though they were also in real estate, their main business was chewing gum. It was called Rooster Nation. And it was a chewing gum factory that he started in one room uh, with his uh, cousin. And together they created a chewing gum empire. Uh, in fact, up until or before the revolution, uh, we were the number one chewing gum factory in all of Asia. And there were talks of merging with Bazooka or Wrigley at the time and becoming a super giant of chewing gum hmm. for that region and that area because of the success that was created. Um, and of course, due to the revolution and due to many factors other than just business, but political-wise, religion-wise, wealth-wise, uh, there were many factors that led in us, including many other Iranians at the time, to have to flee for their life, leave their businesses behind, and start over. And this was the case with us, where we had to leave the factory behind and run for our lives and restart here in the United States. And just lose everything. That's just that's unfathomable to someone like myself who has not experienced that. You just walk away. You, you have no recourse. No recourse. Walk away. We were fortunate enough that due to the fact that my dad's brother was living in Los Angeles at the time, he had suggested and recommended, even before the revolution, that, look, it's very good idea to diverse the portfolio and have investments in the United States. And because uh, my uncle, whose name is Dharma Bubi, knew that he was going to start a life in the United States and want to live there and start a family, he came up with the idea that we should have some family investments there. And as such, it led to that being what became 40, 45 years later, which is today, that those initial investments in real estate allowed us to build a f portfolio in the commercial real estate ar arena as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Specifically in Beverly Hills. Specifically in Beverly Hills, mm -hmm. Now, yes. back in the 70s when those investments were made, what did Beverly Hills look like? What did Rodeo Drive look like? Did it look like it did, does now or was it a little different? Absolutely not. It, it wasn't uh, the luxury street that you see that it is today. It wasn't the world-famous Rodeo Drive that is known everywhere. Uh, it was a street that had restaurants, gas stations, supermarkets, a few retailers, um, banks, a local bank would be there. Um, but through the great vision of uh, Fred Heyman, uh, Donald Tronstein, my, uh, my family, uh, Uncle Dar, uh, they all came together and slowly but surely uh, made what Rodeo Drive is today. They were instrumental. These were the pillars. Um, th this was the foundation of what Rodeo Drive has become today as a result of their vision, their hard work, and really creating the luxurious, or I should say ultra-luxury street that you see uh, of what Rodeo is today. Mm -hmm. Now, one of those properties ended up being the Rodeo Collection. Correct. And 
Take me back to when you were a kid. Do you remember being around the property or construction at all? In fact, when my father uh, finally did come to the United States, one day he took me with him to tour the construction site of what Rodeo Collection uh, was, come, you know, obviously being built and what it is today. And I'll never forget, he gave me a hard hat. He was wearing one, and we were walking down to the area which is now where cars enter into the parking lot. And I saw construction workers putting each brick one by one with the cement together, the masonaries working. And it was such an exciting thing for me. Like, wow, what is happening here? What's going on? And he took me through, obviously, what this work was, what it's going to be eventually. And I was in a complete, I was in complete awe as a six-year-old or seven-year-old. And uh, to know what it is today and how it's become a full circle for me with the work that I'm doing now and the business that I'm in, it all makes sense that, you know, there are no accidents, that everything in the big scheme of things is already planned out. It's just our job to decipher it and decode our maps to see what our true destiny is. Mm. Did you envision yourself as a kid or as you were growing up, elementary school, middle school, high school, going into commercial real estate? Was that the path you envisioned yourself? You know, as a kid, you always have big, big dreams about being a uh, basketball star or an athlete or a movie star. Well, not all, kids, not all kids did, but it sounds like you did. Yeah, I did, right. You know, <laughs> whatever one's dream is, in whatever sector of life yeah. they dream about. And I thought I was going to become a professional basketball player. Yeah. I loved that sport. That's yeah. all I did from the age of six. I had a ball. And all I did when I had free time is play basketball. And I said, one day I want to become a Laker. Mm. I want to become a NBA star. And as I grew up <laughs> into my teens, I realized how that uh, a dream was very difficult, <laughs> and it wasn't one for me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as I entered high school, it became clear to me that, yes, real estate was the field that I was going to get involved in and follow uh, the path that my uncles and father had paved and done so well with their careers. And having gone there in the summers as a part-time job, in addition to going to camp and just keeping myself busy and staying out of trouble, um, I started to really take a liking into the business of real estate. And I continued my journey uh, while I was also going to USC on days that I wasn't at school as an assistant property manager uh, and was really learning the business. I actually started in the mailroom while I was interning in high school and learned everything about the business from the bottom to the top because I had the privilege and honor to partake in meetings that my father and uncles were in to learn and observe and, and listen and take notes and ask questions. So it really became a fascinating situation for me. And I realized how much I love the art of making a deal in the whole process. Hmm. 
So after you graduated from USC, you were still property managing. Did you go right into real estate at that point? Yeah. So after I graduated USC, uh, I was continuing my role as an assistant property manager. uh, And uh, I continued to be full-time and really learned the business on every level, from property management to leasing to sales to how to work with tenants and landlords and how the uh, retail luxury market really worked. Um, and I also in, got involved being a property assistant manager in other aspects, not just retail, you know, medical, multifamily, office, industrial. So I had a sense and feel for the whole mm-hmm. uh, gamut of, of real estate. It was a wonderful lesson. But three, four years into working in the property management business, I realized, you know something? This is not for me. I don't want to be listening to people's complaints all day long because even when you solve them, it's very limited Mm. to what you can do on a daily basis. You're actually dealing with uh, people's complaints and what has to be done. And it wasn't as exciting for me as it was when I entered the field Mm Uh, as a 18, 19-year-old. So I decided that I did not want to be in real estate anymore. And believe it or not, I ventured out into the entertainment business. What did your family think in that moment when you said, eh, I think I'm going to go into entertainment? They said, are you kidding us? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> like, why entertainment business? And, and what is it that... Uh, you're turned off about. And I said, look, it's not as much as being turned off, but it's it's more about how I'm excited about doing something that is so universally and globally impactful that I want to bring uh, the entertainment. I want, in other words, I want to use the vehicle of entertainment to inspire and bring out the best in people and open their hearts through music, through storytelling, through filmmaking and it got me so excited because I knew that you can you can create such change hmm. in uh, subject matters that people use entertainment as a vehicle to do so. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know something? I'm going to take my business skills, uh, my negotiation skills, my love for people, and go into the business side of entertainment, find projects uh, that I thought would be best in relations to inspiring others. Mm -hmm. And I would uh, raise money and option scripts and package deals in order for them to become movies eventually, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, to find the right producer, the right director, so on and so forth. So I took the business skills of what I had learned and wanted to implement it into the entertainment field, which I did, But I realized that the entertainment business is a completely different uh, animal. Hmm. And it wasn't something that was for me. But I'm so happy that I did venture out to it to Mm -hmm. know that. Um, And 10 years later, after losing money and having a few failed projects, uh, I decided that this was not for me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go back to real estate. Mm -hmm. But this time it was different. I wanted to become a deal maker. Mm. I wanted to enter the field of endless possibilities uh, that was infinite and global and uh, involved uh, 
luxury at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I came back to the business, not working for my family, but working with them, but also being beyond blessed that they gave me a shot to be able to prove myself by doing a few projects with their portfolio. Uh, and, uh, you know, even though your family, when it comes to business, you had to legitimately prove yourself. Mm-hmm. You had to show that you're capable, that you can make things happen, that you can deliver. And if I wasn't able to do that for them, then who could I do it for? Sure, sure. So because of the opportunity that I had that they gave me a chance to enter the field and uh, prove myself, that really led me into uh, wanting to start my, start my own brokerage company, which I did. At the time, it was called BRC Advisors back in 2005 with Jim Wang. It was a boutique brokerage firm. Um, and 11 years after that, after really growing and becoming very successful and um, wanting to do greater and bigger things, I realized I needed a global platform. And that's when JLL came into the picture and I joined JLL in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, Question for you, in the midst of all of the moving back into real estate, um, you know, so many times we see people in the midst of their success, like yourself, and think, man, it must be just from one high to the next high to the next high of closing deals and making things happen. And yet you mentioned you went through 10 years doing entertainment that it was a struggle. 10 years is a long time. Very long time. It's not just I dip my toe in. Like you were fully invested. Fully with my time, with my energy, with my finances. Yeah. I was all in. Yeah. And yet it, you know, didn't go necessarily the way that you wanted it to. There were some successes along the way. What would you say that you learned over the course of those 10 years that prepared you for that next step into high street commercial real estate? You know, you learn that you're always a bridge between two sides that whatever the goal is, that you have to remove your ego, you have to remove the idea of being about you and truly be that channel and conduit of bringing people together, making the end goal happen, having the best interests of all parties involved, knowing that the sum of the parts is greater than the whole and to tirelessly and relentlessly work as hard as you can to bring the project to fruition. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it doesn't happen, at least you know you laid it all out on the field. You did everything that you were supposed to do, and that whatever the result is at that point is exactly what it should be, Hmm. and to be okay with that. And I realized that when you are in the world of deal-making and wanting to work at that level with projects that you have to love people. You have to be a humanitarian. You have to be someone who enjoys engaging with people, who has a level of high tolerance, patience, be non-judgmental, and to really make people understand that you're sincere about the work that you're doing Mm -hmm. and you're honest about the work that you're doing and that you're going to give it your all to have their best interests at hand and to make something happen. Mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. High street retail. 
why did you choose that versus industrial, medical, office, big box, agricultural? <laughs> of course. Why, why, why choose high street? In general, anything that is luxurious is very appealing, right? People want the best of the best. People want the most luxurious of the luxurious, whether it's food, clothing, cars, jewelry, hospitality, entertainment, whatever it may be. And being blessed that I came or I come from a family that was very much involved in the luxury world in all fronts, it gave me a true test and understanding of what luxury means and what it is about. And that is what ultimately led me to be in the high street luxury world. Mm -hmm. One of the things that is so apparent by getting to know you and working with you over the last couple of years is how your spirituality informs your values and it informs your way of having relationships with people. Talk to me about your path of spirituality. Was that part of your upbringing or is it something that's more new in your life? You know, I would tell you that uh, every individual is born with innate qualities. Some discover what they are, some don't. Um, I was blessed at a very young age to know that I had a fascination with life and creation, joy, inner peace, and most importantly, love. And um, I would ask questions that were really out there. And my mom, of all people, recognized that, hmm, Human is intrigued by certain things that are not really related to the physical world. They're related to the metaphysical world, which I had no idea what that word meant at the time. Mm -hmm. But because of a recognition and understanding that I'm thinking in a certain way or have certain desires, she introduced me to a spiritual master that she knew when I was 14 years old, a guru you may want to call, who understood the art of what metaphysics was about, what meditation, inner peace, the Eastern principles that come from Asia and India uh, and the Middle East, of the great masters of being able to live a life of complete fulfillment mm. that even though had nothing to do with the material world would allow you to have anything and everything you want as long as internally you mastered the art of joy and inner peace and love. It became the foundation of me even further growing in that field. And I would tell you that was the beginning. Mm -hmm. And towards my late teens and beginning of my early 20s, I learned a great teaching called Kabbalah which till today I still implement and use as part of my life, um, which is really the decoding of the Old Testament. It's the blueprint of the universal laws of metaphysics that govern the world we live in. Mm -hmm. And through the combination of these things, that's how I've been really living my life. Mm -hmm. 
and practicing my life and implementing everything that I do based on those principles. Mm-hmm. My wife, which is now my wife now, by the time when we were dating, uh, Maria was not from the same faith that I am, which is Judaism. Uh, she really had renounced her own religion. She was a very, and still is a very spiritual human being and greatly uh, loves and believes in God. Um, but really didn't have a specific religion that she believed in. So when she understood more about the Jewish faith, she wanted to learn the metaphysical and spiritual side of it. And she told me one day, would you be interested in learning about Kabbalah? She said, I know you had known about it, you know, a little bit here and there, but now that we're really getting involved in our relationship, what do you think about the idea of me really learning and grasping what Judaism is about, both on a religious level and a non-religious level? And that's how I put my first steps into this understanding and learning of Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. Every day you have a morning routine that involves the two things that you talked about, both meditation and prayers. Walk me through that morning routine. I want to hear more about that. Well, I think it's critically important that anything that we do that involves work and being out there in the world dealing with people, you have to have a very sound foundation of inner peace, focus, tranquility, connection to the divine, service to the divine. And in order to do that, I wake up very early in the morning between five and six depending on how late I sleep. And my routine involves meditation, prayer, spiritual bathing called mikveh, and always working out, some sort of physical activity. And that way you get your mind, your body, your soul, everything about you, your energy intact to go into the battlefield on a daily basis and do what you do and be the best that you can be and connect to people at the highest level and to bring about the best results in anything that you're focusing on. Mm. If you were to share one or two of the most important principles that you hold, most important principles, most important values that inform how you operate as a deal maker. What are one of the one or two of those principles? You know, there's a lot of them, but I'll focus on a few that I think are critically important. Is making sure that first of all you're always honest and transparent. That your goals, your intentions, your ideas are really for the best interest of everyone involved. Secondarily, is you want to make sure that people are happy that people's livelihood is at the best that it can be. When people come to you and they ask you for advice or for consulting or for you to work on their behalf to make something happen, they have to feel so comfortable with you and so confident that they believe in you, that you know that you will not let them down, that it's not only about the result, but the process of how are you representing them? How are you an example of them? And to know that 
you want to make sure that they are taken care of, like you would take care of yourself and your own children and anything and everything that you want, right? Even more so, the attention and care that you give has to be there. And in doing so, then that which you want, the benefits that you want will automatically come with it anyway. Mm -hmm. It becomes secondary. Now, obviously, one should evaluate the situation and decide if they want to take something on to make sure that at the end, it will give you the results that you want and it's worth your time and effort. Mm -hmm. But if you take something on, you got to be all in with it. A few moments ago, you talked about how you wanted a global platform from which to serve your clients and you joined JLL about seven years ago. What is it about JLL that has been so helpful in empowering you to serve your clients? You know, aside from their impeccable track record and their success rate and being around for two to 300 years uh, and having the infrastructure that they have, which that is above and beyond what you'd want, they have even something more important, and that is the culture. The culture of how they treat the people they work with, how they treat their clients, how uh, ethical they are, and how morals and uh, people's well-being in every level is at the highest point. But even more so than that, Jayla believes in people. Jalen believes in investing in their people. And when you have a company that believes and thinks at that level, then you know that anything and everything is possible. It's unlimited. Because when you pour your resources, your energy, your efforts, your finances, and you're investing in such a way of thinking and believing, then you become a global giant. And the proof is in the pudding with JLL. Because in every area of the real estate world, they have proven to be the best. Mm -hmm. The Business of Luxury podcast. Why did you want to start this podcast? What was, what was uh, so compelling for you? You know, I was so blessed and honored and privileged to come across so many great people, uh, so many great leaders, so many great influential, successful uh, giants in every field that you can think of. And I said, this should be shared with as many people as possible. It should not just be a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I want to go out there and share with people these conversations, these dialogues, uh, how we have so many great people out there, so many great businesses, so many great leaders, and others should know about their successes. Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but everything is quantum. Everything is interconnected. As independent as we are, we're interdependent. We all need each other. And the more information we have and the more unification we have, the more we can come together and make incredible things happen. And that cannot happen when the outreach is limited. It's got to be unlimited. Mm. Oh, man, so, so many good things. I'm so uh, honored to be helping you with this podcast, and it's just amazing to hear the conversations that you're having with incredible leaders, executives, influencers, like you said, and uh, excited to see where this all goes. So thank you for joining me today on your own podcast. <laughs> I appreciate that greatly, and I can't tell you how excited I am to continue the Business of Luxury podcast and to have great people on our show and to be able to share with the world that there's so much greatness out there that has not yet 
been uh, known and revealed, and it should be. And we will hope to continuously be that conduit and channel of revealing that concealment. Final question. Dream person that you want to interview on the Business of Luxury podcast. I've got I've got that person in my head. I'm, we have not talked about this before, but I, I think I've got it in my head. Go ahead. Who is it? Who who would you want to have? Just your dream dream person. Magic Johnson. Boom. <laughs> yeah, Magic is someone who uh, has been a childhood, uh, you know, dream of mine. Growing up watching the Lakers, but aside from his basketball ta- talents, it's always been his personality. You know. His character, his personality, his love for people, his love to win, uh, but yet enjoying it and and really being uh, someone that people love being around. Uh, so that that is someone that I truly admire and, and respect, and uh, hopefully, you know, one day we'll be able to share a great conversation with Magic on our podcast. Magic, we're coming after you. We hope you enjoyed Human's conversation today, and we invite you to share this episode with someone who might enjoy it as well. Take a screenshot on your phone, text it to them, and tell them to check out businessofluxurypodcast.com. Also, we encourage you to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening to The Business of Luxury.